It was the night before Christmas in the land of the living. It is but Christmas Eve, yet it is manifest that Watford will be demoted this season. I cannot bear to witness the decline. I wish I had never been born. Did you hear that? The alderman's in a bad way. Watford Football Club owes everything to the alderman. Someone needs to help him. The alderman's a good man. Help him, God. Please, dear father. Watch over the alderman tonight. Hello, Charlie. Trouble? Yes, I, I'm rather afraid so. People are asking for help for the alderman. I rather think that tonight could be his crucial night. Right. We'll have to send someone down immediately. Hornet Heaven. 2019 Christmas Special. It's a Wonderful Afterlife. Written by Ollie Wicken. Read by Colin Mace. Earth Season, 1927-28. It was Christmas Eve, 1927. For Watford, it had been a grim season so far. The team was struggling at the foot of Division 3 South. In the main stand at Vicarage Road, a dapper man with deep brown eyes and a soft complexion was watching events at that afternoon's game against Brentford from the parallel world of the afterlife paradise exclusively reserved for Watford fans. Oh dear, this really is awful. Quite awful. Good old Charlie White, a much-loved inside forward, had arrived in Watford 7 a year and a half earlier while still a player. He'd made 380 league and cup appearances and was Watford's all-time highest goalscorer. Down on earth, fans of the Brewers, as Watford were known at the time, had been utterly devastated to lose him. Up in the afterlife, residents had been delighted to receive him. He was the biggest name in heaven. He'd become something of a presidential figure. Now he watched as down in the land of the living, his old friend Alderman Ralph Thorpe trudged out of the main stand, looking desperately unhappy. Oh dear, I really do owe the most extraordinary amount to that good dear man. He was club chairman, you see, for pretty much the whole of my career. On earth, the heavily set former benefactor of Watford Football Club disappeared from Charlie's view. Inside the stadium, the chill wind was starting to bring what would become known as the Great Christmas Blizzard of 1927. But up in the Watford afterlife, it was the prospect that his old friend the Alderman was about to commit suicide that was really chilling Charlie White. Dear, oh dear, this is utterly dreadful, Alec. Charlie said to the man who just joined him in the stand. Do you think the alderman's serious about ending it all tonight? Next to Charlie was a 65-year-old in a smart 1920s suit. 
Alex Sargent had arrived in the afterlife a month earlier. He'd made 139 appearances for Watford Rovers back in the 19th century and had also served as the club's honorary secretary. Alec replied, We need to act, Charlie. You know as well as I do that the alderman personally invested a fortune in our club. He led us into the football league. He oversaw the acquisition of Vicarage Road as our home ground and now it looks as if we're about to become non-league again. It's no wonder he thinks his efforts weren't worth it. I believe this is very serious. I'll come up with a plan. A short time later, good old Charlie White and Alex Sargent reconvened around the table in the boardroom beneath the main stand. Charlie said, This really is the most awful situation, Alec. Have you worked out how we can help the alderman when we send someone down? I have. It hinges on one thing, that the alderman said he wishes he'd never been born. I think we should show him what Watford Football Club would be like if Alderman Ralph Thorpe had never existed. It will make him appreciate that things at Watford in 1927 aren't as bad as he thinks. Oh, oh yes, good. Uh, that sounds a most appropriate plan. In which case, we just need to brief the person I've selected to entrust with saving the Alderman's life. Oh, goodness, that's going to be quite a responsibility for someone. Who have you chosen? Hello, sir. You sent for me, sir? Derek Garston, a 13-year-old Watford fan who'd been in Watford's afterlife for just six years so far, sat down at the boardroom table. This better not take long, Mr Sergeant, sir. It's Christmas in a few hours, sir. I can't wait to see what my present is this year, sir. Alex Sargent began the briefing. A man down on earth needs our help, Derek. Is he sick, sir? No, worse. He's discouraged. Ha! I'm not surprised, sir. 1927-28 is proving as awful as 1926-27, sir. Watford are nearly in the re-election zone, sir. Again, sir. Changing from black and white stripes to blue shirts has made no difference at all, sir. This is a serious matter. This man is thinking of throwing away God's greatest gift. Ha! He'd be making a terrible mistake if he ends up in our afterlife, sir. It's so boring up here, sir. It's full of old people, sir. And there's nothing to do between matches, sir. This whole place is just old people, old games and old programmes. It's so boring, sir. I'm sure you'll grow out of that attitude one day, young man. But for now, it's exactly why I sent for you. This is your chance to go down to earth and stop yet another old man from joining our afterlife. Me, sir? Go down to earth, sir? Yes, Derek, you. But how would I do that, sir? I've died, sir! I can't go back down to earth, sir! Well, actually, what? I can go back down, Mr Sergeant, sir. Really, sir? Derek turned to good old Charlie White in astonishment. Is that correct, Mr Good Old Charlie White, sir? Um, uh, uh, yes, Derek. We're asking a favour of you. Would you be an angel and... An actual angel, sir? Yes, please, sir. Sorry, no, not really. It was, it was just a turn of phrase. I meant, would you be awfully kind and... Me? An angel? 
Yes, uh, awfully kind, and, and take yourself through a portal we've discovered that leads to the land of the living. I'll tell everyone I'm the Archangel Derek! Oh, oh dear. Do you think that's wise? You won't be an archangel, not even an angel. Just a schoolboy going back down to earth through a portal. I'm going to be a Christmas angel, sir. Derek stood up and flapped the sleeves of his school blazer, as if trying to levitate. Charlie whispered to Alec, I say, you know, Alec, I'm not certain Derek's quite the right person for this mission. Trust me, Charlie, this will be the making of him. Meanwhile, down on Earth, a Christmas party was taking place at the West Hart Sports Club at Casio Road, where Watford had played their home games from 1890 to 1922. Outside the Casio Road Pavilion, snow had begun to fall, the start of one of the greatest blizzards of the 20th century. Inside, the guests at the party included several significant people connected with Watford Football Club. In future, these guests, who had been watching that afternoon's game alongside the Alderman, would all become residents of the Watford afterlife paradise. But right now, in the land of the living, none of them were feeling any kind of bliss. I'm really worried about the Alderman, Freddy. Me too. I spoke to him again after today's match. He was still in a bad way. But at the time he assured me he was coming here tonight. Should we send out a search party? What do you think, Harry? Let's give him a little longer. The alderman's a man of his word. The four men in conversation were Charlie Peacock, a founder member of Watford Rovers in 1881, Freddie Sargent, Alex Sargent's older brother and a former captain of Watford Rovers, Johnny Allgood, Watford's first ever manager in 1903, and Harry Kent, Watford's second manager from 1910 to 1926. All still living, they all still loved Watford Football Club and they all respected, admired, and loved their old friend, the Alderman. Johnny Allgood said, Well, I hope he isn't a man of his word tonight. Earlier, he spoke of taking his own life. But the unhappy truth was that the Alderman was doubly a man of his word that evening. He was at the West Hart Sports Ground, and he was about to take his own life. At that very moment, upstairs from the Christmas party, Alderman Ralph Thorpe was clambering out of a window onto the sloping, snow-dusted roof of the pavilion. In the eternal sunshine of the Watford afterlife, Alex Sargent and good old Charlie White had finished briefing young Derek Garston on his mission to the land of the living. The three of them were now standing on a warm and bright occupation road outside the ancient turnstile. It was freezing in the real world in Watford at the match this afternoon, Mr. Good Old Charlie White, sir. Are you sure the portal will let me back into Brutopia, sir? Oh, please, don't use that frightful name. But it's genius, sir. The team are called the Brewers, sir, and this is a Utopia, sir. We live in Brutopia, sir. Dear, oh dear, oh dear. I really do wish we could come up with something better. Don't worry yourself about the portal, Derek. 
Just concentrate on what we've told you. We've been careful to give you all the facts you need for speaking to the alderman. Don't I know it, sir? I hate facts, Mr Sergeant, sir. I thought being an angel was going to be fun, sir. I hate facts and I hate history. The only thing I like about football is what happens on the pitch, sir. Well, maybe you'll feel differently when you meet the alderman and properly appreciate that he's the only reason football still happens on a pitch in Watford. The portal was at a Watford game from the past, on the other side of the ancient turnstile. Good old Charlie White handed Derek the match programme he needed to go through the turnstile. It was for Watford's Southern League Division 1 match against New Brompton at Watford's former home ground, Cassio Road, on the 8th of April, 1911. Derek looked at the programme and said, An old game, sir? But I hate old games, sir. Well, <laughs> as a matter of fact, this one makes rather marvellous viewing. I scored two goals, you see, in my youthful prime as a 22-year-old, and... I don't care, sir. <laughs> yes, well, fortunately for you, you're not going there to watch the football. You just need to find the portal to the land of the living. It's located behind the pavilion. And what does the portal look like, sir? It's, um... Oh, <laughs> well, I can't lie. It's a latrine. What? You're sending me through some kind of cosmic toilet, sir? Yes, Derek, I, I do know what a latrine is. And where will I come out, sir? Oh, uh, well, the same spot. In the real world. In real time. You'll arrive at the Cassio Road Sports Ground on... Christmas Eve, 1927. <laughs> oh, dear. What's the matter now, Derek? I'm scared, sir. Oh, come, come. It's really nothing to worry about. You'll merely be passing through, um, well, what I'd call a celestial fracture between two realities, you see, which happens to be in a 1911 latrine. <laughs> I don't want to go, sir. But you do want to be an angel, don't you, Derek? I'm having second thoughts about that, sir. Oh, oh dear, 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 this isn't good. This is a most important mission, you see. Alec, do you have some words of reassurance you could give the young man? Alec Sargent smiled kindly. He placed his hands gently on the schoolboy's shoulders. Then he shoved Derek through the ancient turnstile. On the roof of the pavilion at Cassio Road, Alderman Ralph Thorpe was clinging to the gabled dormer window from which he climbed. The sloping roof was slippery with snow. The ground was about 30 feet below. He was serious about throwing himself down. It would be a statement that no one could ignore. Other Watford fans in 1927 had booed at matches, but... As an expression of dissatisfaction, it had been feeble. Suicide was the ultimate act of loyalty by a supporter. It showed how much you cared. It was far more powerful than boycotting games or ripping up your season ticket. It showed you were prepared to make the ultimate sacrifice in the hope it might bring about improvements at your club. It was selfless and noble. In the past, people had accused him of self-interest. 
They'd said that putting the club in his debt and himself in a position of power was a move designed to enhance his own social standing and influence. This would show them. It was five years since he'd stepped down as chairman, and Watford still mattered to him. More than life itself. His fingers, gripping the icy windowsill, were losing sensation in the cold. Any moment now, he'd lose his hold and slide to his doom. His beloved club was struggling badly. Eighteen months earlier, there had been talk of having to bring in the receivers. Key figures, such as manager Harry Kent and goalkeeper Skilly Williams, had departed. The club had been forced to put out the begging bowl for funds from supporters. At the end of the season, Watford had had to apply for re-election to the league. The situation was undeniably grave. The alderman peered down at the ground below. He didn't believe there'd be life after death for himself, nor for the club after his death. What he'd achieved for Watford was going to waste. He and Watford Football Club would die together. His fingers were almost numb now. It was mere moments until... Help! Help me, someone! The alderman turned and looked for the source of the voice. Ten feet above him, at the apex of the roof, there was a small boy in school uniform, clinging to the pavilion's clock tower. Please, your worshipfulness, sir, save me! On the first floor of the Casio Road Pavilion, safe inside the building after a dramatic rescue, the alderman brushed snow off Derek Garston's school uniform and his own suit. He noticed there were grass cuttings mixed in with the snow that fell off the boy's clothes. What the blazes were you doing on the roof, boy? I climbed up to save you, your worshipfulness, sir. To save me? I did, didn't I, your worshipfulness, sir? You didn't go through with it, did you? I knew you tried to save me, and you did. And that's how I saved you, sir. Well, I didn't want to be saved. Think of me as your guardian angel, sir. But how did you know I was... I know everything about you, sir. It's pretty boring, though. It's all in the past. Your history, your worshipfulness, sir. You mean I would have been if I'd gone ahead and killed myself? No, you actually are, sir. You stopped being chairman of Watford in 1922, sir. I hate history, sir. You're basically dead to me, sir. You have such a way with words. Anyway, sir, my job is to stop you from killing yourself, sir. Well... I still wish I'd never been born. You can't stop me from thinking that. Oh, yes, I can, your worshipfulness, sir. Follow me. Derek grabbed the alderman's hand and led him down the stairs and out into the grounds of the West Hearts Sports Club. A few moments later, they arrived next to a wooden hut. What? Why have you brought me here? 
This is where my good friend Johnny Allgood ended up working as Watford's groundsman. All the alderman could see was a wheelbarrow next to a foul-smelling compost heap. The heap was covered in snow, though he did notice a few grass cuttings around the base, just like those he'd brushed from Derrick a few moments ago. It simply didn't occur to him that the compost heap might be the real-world entrance of a portal to an afterlife exclusively reserved for Watford fans. In fact, nothing occurred to him because, after a swish of something heavy travelling fast through the air, he lost consciousness and collapsed into the wheelbarrow. A few moments later, on the afterlife side of the portal, Derek wheeled the unconscious alderman out of the latrine behind the pavilion at the 1911 game against New Brompton. He didn't stop. He ferried the former chairman straight to the ancient turnstile. They went through and emerged back onto Occupation Road in the main part of the Watford afterlife, where Alex Sargent and good old Charlie White were waiting in the sunshine. Good old Charlie said to Derek, Oh, goodness, Derek, is he all right? I do hope you didn't hit him too hard. I went for placement, not power, Mr. Good Old Charlie White, sir. The opposite of your old teammate Fred Pagnum's famously awful penalty kick, sir. Alex said, Well, you know the next stage of the plan, Derek. Here's the two programmes you need. We're relying on you. Derek took the two sheets of paper, which were team lists rather than proper programmes, and trundled the comatose alderman back through the ancient turnstile to a match from a very long time ago. Derek parked the alderman, still in the wheelbarrow, on the edge of a large field in the countryside. The 13-year-old leaned down and slapped the alderman's face. The old man didn't rouse. They had come to one of the earliest matches Watford Rovers had ever played, on Saturday the 3rd of November back in 1883. It was an away friendly, on a mild afternoon against a school called Cilicia College in High Barnet. Watford Rovers would win 3-0, with Alex Sargent, as a 21-year-old, scoring one of the goals. But none of that was why Derek had brought the alderman here. The actual reason, devised by the deceased Alex Sargent, was that this match didn't have any of the trappings of a 1927 football occasion. There were no spectators. It was just two teams booting a ball about in a field on a pitch marked out with four corner flags and two sets of goalposts with tape across the top instead of crossbars. Derek had strict instructions not to let the alderman realise that this was a game from the past in a Watford afterlife. The plan was simply to convince the former chairman that this was an alternative reality of what football in Watford would have been like in 1927 if Alderman Ralph Thorpe had never been born and hadn't steered the club from the edge of oblivion to full league status. Oh, 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 oh. where am I? Why am I in a field? Why am I in a wheelbarrow? Derek watched the alderman gingerly lever himself up from the wheelbarrow and brush off some grass cuttings that had got onto his suit from passing through the compost heap. 
the 13-year-old began reciting what he'd been told to say by Alex Sargent. Welcome to an alternative reality, your worshipfulness, sir. You said you wished you'd never been born. Well, now you've got your wish, sir. What? Look around you, your worshipfulness, sir. In this version of the world, your influence on Watford Football Club never happened, sir. This is what soccer in Watford in 1927 would have been like without you, sir. The Brewers wouldn't exist, sir. There'd be no club at all, sir. I don't understand. How are you doing this? I've reconfigured reality using my angel superpowers, your worshipfulness, sir. This is 1927, you say? Absolutely, sir. Hmm. So you're telling me modern players have gone back to wearing Victorian shirts and knickerbockers? Um, yes, sir. Because, um, football regressed terribly without your involvement, sir. Hmm. And they've gone back to using tape instead of crossbars. It's awful, sir. They've become primitive again, sir. Feral, almost, sir. The alderman eyed the match suspiciously. Derek said, Don't look too hard, your worshipfulness, sir. The point I'm trying to make is that if you hadn't been around, sir, Watford Football Club would have gone bust in 1903, sir. Cassio Road wouldn't have had the stands you paid for. Vicarage Road wouldn't have been built, sir. The alderman gazed around the field at the complete lack of any buildings or facilities for players or spectators. After a while, he realised the boy had a point. He, the alderman, had created something enduring in Watford, a functioning football club with long-term physical assets that were appreciated by the whole town. The club might be in the doldrums at the moment, but he couldn't seriously wish away what he'd helped bring to the community, just because of a season or two of bad results. He was starting to feel better. He could see things more clearly. It was wonderful that Watford was a town that benefited from having a professional football club. He was mistaken to wish he'd never been born. He said to Derek, Get me back to the real world, please. I want to live again. Derek's face lit up. Really, sir? No matter how badly the team may be doing at any particular moment, Watford Football Club is a good thing. One should never give up on a good thing. Ha! Well, that was easy, your worshipfulness, sir. I'm a brilliant angel. Right, sir. If you don't want to kill yourself any more, sir... We can go, sir. Job done, sir. Actually, I'd like to linger a moment, if you don't mind. I don't quite know what's going on here, how you've made it daytime instead of nighttime and got rid of the blizzard, but I'm grateful for your bringing me here. I'm appreciating anew the value of Watford Football Club in the real world. I want to let it sink in a little more. Uh, um, but can't you let it sink in somewhere else, your worshipfulness, sir? 
the football they're playing here is rubbish, sir. I'm only interested in watching good football, sir. 1927 Football League football, sir. The alderman looked at the 13-year-old. He sensed the boy was suffering the same thing that he himself had been suffering until a moment ago. A lack of appreciation of the bigger picture of what Watford Football Club stood for. He realised he could return the favour. Ah, but to truly appreciate good football, young man, you need to understand the background of how league football came to be being played in Watford. No, I don't, Your Worshipfulness, sir. Oh, you very much do. Goodness me, there are so many stories I could tell you. I know you'd love to hear them. Come on, walk with me. The alderman grabbed Derek's hand. Hey! Just as Derek had grabbed the alderman's hand a little earlier. The alderman led the boy around the edge of the field, spinning yarns from his time involved with Watford Football Club. It all started on April the 27th, 1903, at West Ham Stadium, the memorial grounds in Plasto. But West Ham weren't playing. Do you know who was? Is this going to take long, Your Worshipfulness, sir? I don't want to miss Christmas. Watford and Brighton Hove Albion were playing. It was a Southern League test match to decide who would be relegated into Southern League Division 2. God, I hate history, sir. It's one big yawn, sir. But this was an exciting game, my boy. Watford went 3-0 down. Relegation loomed, but then Cottrell, Murray and Tennant scored for us. 3-3. We were saving the day. OK, um, and what happened next? Brighton scored. 3-4. Then Brighton scored again. 3-5. And um, we came back from that, sir? Oh, we did. And how? Go on, your worshipfulness, sir. Tell me, sir. We lost that match, but we bounced straight back the next season by going the entire 1903-04 season undefeated. What? Invincible? Your worshipfulness, sir? Oh, yes. Invincible. Are you impressed? Very, sir. Played 20. One eighteen. Drawn 2. Goals for 70. Goals against 14. <laughs> Crikey, sir! I think I'll memorise that, sir! And all because I put a thousand pounds into the club and brought in Johnny Allgood as our first ever manager. He'd been a Preston invincible as a player. Oh! Oh! So he was doubly uninvincible, your worshipfulness, sir! Oh! 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 oh ripping, sir! What's more, he'd also been England captain, scoring 12 goals in 14 games. A national hero. 12 in 14 for England, sir? Crikey, sir! I'll remember that too, sir!
the alderman's storytelling kept Derek wrapped as they strolled round the field. Realising he no longer needed to keep his audience captive, the former chairman let go of Derek's hand. Derek immediately put his hand back into the alderman's. The boy started asking questions about the club's history and committing the answers to memory. This got the alderman launching into his favourite anecdotes from the days when he chaired the club, signing up the future England captain, Arthur Grimsdale, as a 17-year-old in 1911, drawing an FA Cup match in 1912 with a Wolverhampton Wanderers side that had recently won the trophy, winning the Southern League Championship in 1915. Eventually, the 1883 Watford Rovers game in the field reached full time. Derek took the alderman and the wheelbarrow back to the ancient turnstile. They were both happier than they'd been for a very long time. On the other side of the ancient turnstile, Derek and the alderman emerged into the eternal sunshine of Occupation Road in the main part of the Watford afterlife in the present day of Christmas Eve. 1927, where Watford were the Brewers and in trouble at the foot of Division 3 South. Hey, what's going on? How are we here all of a sudden? Is this another alternative reality? Derek suddenly remembered his instructions from Alex Sargent. He was meant to have coshed the alderman unconscious and dumped him back into the wheelbarrow at the 1883 Watford Rovers game. He'd got it wrong. Now he saw Alex Sargent and good old Charlie White walking down the slope towards them. They'd be furious. Oh no, I'm in big trouble now, your worshipfulness, sir. You're not meant to find out about Brutopia. Brutopia? What the blazes is Brutopia? It's got a terrible name for a start. Now the alderman also spotted Charlie White. Oh, Charlie, is that you? Good old dear departed Charlie White. Good Lord. Good old Charlie came close to the alderman and said, Oh, that's my... <laughs> Hello again, my, my dear, dear friend. The alderman couldn't stop himself from throwing his arms around Charlie. He held Charlie tight. I don't know how this is happening, but oh, how we've missed you, good old Charlie White. When we lost you, as a player, as a marvellous human being, it ripped the very heart out of our club. Derek watched the alderman embracing good old Charlie White. The boy felt hollow with dread at the consequences of what he'd allowed to happen. He'd accidentally lifted the veil on the existence of a Watford afterlife. Good old Charlie White stared at Derek. Derek winced at the trouble he must be in. But good old Charlie simply whispered, Don't worry, my boy. I'll take this from here. A few moments later, as Charlie led the alderman back towards the ancient turnstile, Derek felt the hand of Alex Sargent on his shoulder again. This time, it was a gentle, avuncular pat. We're very grateful to you for undertaking the mission, Derek. How did you find it in the end? Actually, the talking to the alderman was great, Mr Sargent, sir. He had so many tales to tell, sir. Did you know that in 1903-04, we were invincible, sir? Our record was played 20, 118, drew 2, 4, 70, against 14, sir. 
Alex Sargent smiled. From behind his back, he produced a large parcel in Christmas wrapping. I wasn't sure whether you'd be ready for this quite yet, Derek, but now I think you are. Merry Christmas, my boy. Derek hurriedly tore open the wrapping. Inside was a set of Watford annual handbooks for every season the club had played from 1899 to 1926. They were full of history, facts and statistics. Derek's face shone with excitement. Oh, <laughs> crikey, Mr Sergeant, sir. Thank you, sir. I'm going to learn every single word. And a very Merry Christmas to you too, sir. Clutching a couple of programmes, good old Charlie White arrived with the alderman and the wheelbarrow on the other side of the ancient turnstile at the game against New Brompton in April 1911, on the way back to the portal which led to the land of the living. They stopped for a while and watched the match. Charlie explained to the alderman the existence of an afterlife exclusively reserved for people who love Watford Football Club. Ah, you can carry on watching Watford for the rest of eternity and go back to watch any Watford game in history, such as the 1883 Watford Rovers game against Cilicia College. The alderman was astonished and moved. What a wonderful afterlife, he sighed. He added, Awful name, though. Brutopia. You should work on that. They carried on watching the game. Watford in white shirts and black knickerbockers went 3-0 up. A younger version of Charlie scored twice, and another goal was scored by a younger version of the alderman's good friend Harry Kent, who at that very moment in 1927 was waiting for the alderman at the Christmas party at West Hearts in the land of the living. Charlie noticed the alderman seemed to have something in his eye. Oh, oh goodness. Are you going to be all right, my dear old pal? It's been quite a day. By bringing me up here, you've made me want to live again. And yet, at the same time, having seen this afterlife, I'll be quite happy to die. No, 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 no. Don't say that. It's Christmas. Go back and see your friends on Earth. Enjoy being with them. And, uh, Live your life, and then, when the time comes, we'll see you again, up here. They embraced again. Then Charlie led the alderman to the portal. The alderman paused. He nodded his thanks, waved, and trundled the wheelbarrow into the latrine. Back in the land of the living... The alderman stood next to the compost heap at Cassio Road and picked grass cuttings from his suit. Snow was falling heavily now, beginning to settle as Christmas Day approached. He left the wheelbarrow by Johnny Allgood's old hut and headed towards the music coming from the Christmas party in the pavilion. Inside the pavilion, he was immediately spotted by his friends, Freddie Sargent, Johnny Allgood, Harry Kent and Charlie Peacock. Look, he's here! The friends raced over to see him, relieved and delighted. They piled onto him 
as if he'd scored a winning goal. Merry Christmas, Alderman. Merry Christmas. Underneath the celebrations, Alderman Ralph Thorpe's jowled face broke into a grin. He was back with his closest friends in the real world of 1927. He would also be with them for eternity, he now knew, when they all joined the Watford afterlife. He was happy again. Today, Christmas Eve 1927, a day when Watford had failed to win and seemed destined for demotion, he'd gained insight. Earlier, he'd been about to throw himself off the pavilion roof and end it all. But now it was clear to him that no Watford fan should ever give up for the rest of eternity. The group hug finally ended. Charlie Peacock shouted out to the band and the music changed. When the alderman heard what it was, it made his night. He yelled, Merry Christmas! Did a little jig and bowed to his friends. Hornet Heaven was created and written by Watford fan Ollie Wickham. It was read by Watford fan Colin Mace. It was produced by Watford fan John Mooney. Music by Watford fans Steve Joy and Jeff Wickham. <laughs>